بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآل الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم أخرجني من ظلمات الوهم وأكرمني بنور الفهم اللهم افتح علينا أبواب رحمتك وانشر علينا خزائن علومك برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين The next point about revelation as described in the paper, revelation as understood by Muslims, is that Quran has been revealed in a clear and plain language. Unfortunately, some people, when they speak about interpretation of the Quran, based on some hermeneutic theories, they want to say that actually understanding Quran is impossible uh, because the only one who really understands what has been said is the speaker. There is no way for you to understand what has been said. But this is not the idea that the Quran presents about itself and this is not also compatible with the reason for sending the Quran. If Quran was not going to be understood, what was the point in sending the Quran? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent this book for guidance. So something which has come for guidance must be clear. Yeah? Because the point in having a guide is that you know the guide, you understand the guide, you can trust on its guidance or his guidance, and then you follow it. But if they send you a guide that you cannot understand, this is not wise. For example, if I know that you only speak English and you need a guide, then I shouldn't speak someone who only speaks Chinese. You say, I don't understand Chinese and he doesn't understand English, so what is the point of having this guy? So, if someone is to benefit from the Qur'an and through the Qur'an finds his path, then the Qur'an must be clear. Otherwise, he would have even difficulty in the first place for understanding the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an in several places says that we have made the Qur'an easy to understand and remember. For example, if you go to chapter 54, then there are several times that, sorry, let me see if it's this chapter. Yes. Chapter 54, which is Surah Qamar, verse 17, but also verse <coughs> 22, 32, 40. So there are four times of repetition. Al-Qur'an al-Dhikr fahal min muttakir. 
we have made the Quran easy for remembrance. Is there someone who would remember, who would be reminded? So if we don't benefit from the Quran, we cannot blame the Quran or we cannot blame Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has sent us a book that we cannot understand. Allah says, وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ We made it easy. And you know, the main job of the Quran is to remind us. Yeah? It's a book to remind us. So if we are not able to understand, then there's no point in sending the Quran. Also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in chapter 44, verse 58. If you go to chapter 44, verse 58. Surah Dukhan, chapter 44 is Surah Dukhan, a smoke, verse 58. We have made it easy on your tongue so that they may remember. So, so Quran is a book that tries to remind us in an easy way. We have also in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 39. So if you go to chapter 39, which is Surah Zumar, Of course, you have the verses in the paper. Then you find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about guidance and how it is made easy. And indeed, we have put forth for men in this Quran every kind of similitude in order that they may remember an Arabic Quran. If uh, I am not mistaken, maybe the number is not exactly what is in the paper. Anyway, you can find it yourself. The, the key term is mathal. You can find it with mathal. Let me give you the exact. Yes. Uh, chapter, I said 3927? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, what's so what's correct? 3927. This is 27. And then 28 says, So Allah says, He has deliberately made the Quran easy and also inside this Allah has deliberately used some uh, parables, some method to make it even clearer. You know, when you want to make sure that your audience understands something, you try to simplify difficult concept by using examples and parables. So the Quran is meant to be clear and easy and 
if someone asks you about ayat mutashabihat, it is not in the paper, but uh, I think in the course on aqaid we mentioned this point. If someone says, if Quran is clear, why there are ayat mutashabihat? Why there are verses in the Quran that can be understood in different ways? They convey different possibilities with respect to their meaning. The answer is that even ayat mutashabihat are verses which can be understood, but they need proper methodology. Ayat mutashabihat are in need of reference to muhkamat. So if you have two sets of the verses of the Quran, the first set is those verses which are 100% clear. We call them in usul al-fiqh nas. They are nas. Means 100% only one possibility. There is no other possibility. Then we have zahir in usul al-fiqh. We say zahir. What is zahir? Zahir is a text which is normally understood in a way that makes it more likely to be what the speaker meant. But there is also another possibility. For example, if I say this person, for example, a person is walking with me, they ask me, who is he? If I say he is my brother, okay, so it has two meanings. One is he is my brother in blood. One means my brother in faith. Okay. In a Muslim context, maybe you actually don't know which one is the case. Because very often to use brother in the sense of brother in faith. But for example, if an English speaker who is not a Muslim, who is not a religious, if he says he's my brother, still you think that maybe he means brother in humanity. But this is khilaf al-zahir. I mean, this is against the apparent meaning. The apparent meaning is that he's my brother in blood. Okay? Or for example, if I say that I owe this man a lot. I owe one million pound or millions of pound to this man. So the apparent meaning is that I really owe him money, but there can be a possibility that it means that he has been very kind and you know had great favor upon me. So if I want to translate that into financial terms, I can say I owe him millions of pounds. Okay? So this possibility is there, but it is khilaf zahir. I mean, it's something that it's very unlikely. And if a person admits that he owes another person, you know, two million pounds, then if they take him to the court and say, give him back, he cannot deny his and say, I didn't mean that. I meant it something else. Because the people who speak that language, they say, although there is such possibility that it meant just to be, you know, morally in debt to someone, but that possibility is disregarded and dismissed. Okay, this is Zahir. Inshallah, in usul al-fiqh, inshallah, you study this. So, Nas 
is different from zahir, but both have the same uh, property or the same quality that when we hear them, we know what is meant. If the speaker is wise and he wants to mean by what has apparent meaning something other than what is normally understood, he should have put there a karina, an evidence which takes us to the other meaning. Because otherwise, normally we understand it in the first way. Okay? So, in Usul Fiqh, they tell us that a text, when it is nas or zahir, in both cases, it is mubayyan. Means it is clear. So both of them are mubayyan. And this is in contrast to mujmal. Mujmal is a text which is neither nas nor zahir. It means that either you don't understand anything or there are different possibilities of meanings and none of them is strong enough to push away other possibilities. Okay? For example, 50% maybe this, 50% maybe another thing. Or 60-40. So none of them is that strong that Oqala, the rational people who know that language would say, we should leave aside this possibility because it's very unlikely that that is the meaning. This is called mujmal. Or sometimes, you know, some people speak like puzzles. You cannot understand. Okay? It's mujmal. In the case of the Quran, although we have ayat mutashabihat, but these ayat mutashabihat are not mujmal like a puzzle or like a person who speaks, you know, vaguely and ambiguously. There are verses in the Quran that you should use as principles and build a framework and then based on them you interpret ayat mutashabahat and actually ayat mutashabahat can be vary from person to person maybe for a person ayat mutashabahat are many because he's not familiar with the Quranic framework for another person ayat mutashabahat are very little okay it's not something fixed in any case, what is important is that if you are faced with an ayah which has different possibilities, don't impose your understanding on the ayah. Try to use other verses of the Quran in order to project light on this ayah because Al-Quran yufassiru ba'dahu ba'da. Inshallah, we will talk about tafsir Quran bil Quran. And we will clarify this further. In any case, having ayat mutashabat would not contradict with this idea that the Quran as a whole is clear. Although, for understanding some verses of the Quran, you have to refer to other verses of the Quran. Okay? It's like a book. When you read a book, sometimes in the first chapter or in, even in the introduction, they define some technical terms. And if you don't read that chapter or introduction, you would not understand the rest of the book. So first read that introduction or first chapter, and then you can understand the rest of the book. 
The next point is that the Quran has different layers of meaning. Quran has a level which is available to us. We hear it, we recite it. That is the surface. Okay? We call this Zahir. This is the surface. This is the literal meaning. Then there is a deeper layer, an underlying layer, which is Batin. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means by the same verse something at the top and something also deeper. And then some hadith says, batnahi batnan. Even that underlying layer has another layer. Up to 70. And maybe even 70 is just as an example. Because in Arabic sometimes 7 or 70 means many. So it doesn't mean not 71. It can be more. So there are different layers of meaning. You know, one of ulama, Ayatollah Sayyid Muhsin al-Hakim, uh, Rahmatullah alayhi, he has a commentary on Kifayatul Usul called Haqaiqul Usul. And there is a discussion uh, in the beginning of his uh, volume one. And he mentions a story that one of the ulama was giving a tafsir, I think of, I don't know, Bismillah Rahman Rahim or another verse of the Quran. And he was giving very beautiful tafsir. And then the next session, another beautiful tafsir. And every day he was mentioning different tafsir. And they are all correct. You know, like 70 different ways of interpreting the ayah. And all of them were okay and were correct. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has spoken to us in the Quran in different levels. You know, sometimes uh, I may use this example for clarification. For example, when I am giving a lecture, so I am using common language. So all the people who are here, whether they know me or not, whether they are hearing me for the first time or not, because I'm using the common language, they understand what I have said. But there are people who have been listening to me before. They are my students. So when I speak, so they understand what ordinary people understand, but they also understand from what I say something deeper. There are codes in what I say that other people don't realize these are codes. Okay? And now imagine if you have a student in different levels. So each of them, depending on his level, understands something from what you have said. And they are all correct. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to us in the Quran, at the same time he's talking to Rasulullah, he's talking to Imams. What they understand is different from what we understand. Not different in the sense that they contradict. They don't contradict. They just 
go deeper and deeper. It's like additional, you know, not contradiction. It's not that they understand something, for example, in an affirmative way, we understand it in a negative. No, it's not a matter of uh, is and is not. It's a matter of different layers. So for example, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Every person who knows Arabic understands this. But a student of theology and philosophy understands it different. A master of theology and philosophy understands it different way. Ahlul Bayt understand it different way. Different, not contradicting. Means better, deeper, more comprehensive. So, there are different layers of the meaning of the Quran. And what is very important is to begin with, we have to start with Al-Ma'na Zahiri. I am very, uh, you know, concerned about this issue. And in the paper, you see that I have addressed this with some emphasis. No one can bring an idea from his pocket and say, this is what this ayah says. Then we say, we don't understand this from the text. He says, this is from a deeper layer. You are not still able to understand it. Inshallah, in future you will understand. No. This is not correct. You have to be able to show how you understood this from Al-Ma'na Zahiri. Any, I'm talking about uh, non-infallibles, uh, okay? About fallible people, about ordinary people. Rasulullah and Ahlul Bayt, they are different. Because they have some sources of knowledge that we don't have access. But if other people come up with an interpretation of the Quran, we cannot accept unless they show us how this is compatible with Al-Ma'na Zahiri. At least they have to show that this is compatible with Al-Ma'na Zahiri, not totally irrelevant. When we reach a tafsir Irfani, mystical interpretation, I will give that some examples. Unfortunately, some of them Sometimes they come up with some types of tafsir that has nothing to do with the ayah. For example, Allah says, Allah made the earth for people. Yeah, this globe, this earth, Allah has made it for people. Some people say earth means body. It means our jasad, our body. How did you come up with this idea? They say, this is what we understood in our mystical experiences. Okay, maybe for you it's good, but for us this is not hujjah. You have to say something which is compatible with the meaning of ard. Ard is different from body. So, there are different layers of the meaning of the Quran. There is always possibility of delving into further layers of the meaning of the Quran. But what is important is that you have to be loyal to al-ma'na zahiri, to the literal meaning. And you have to show 
that what you have understood is at least compatible with the Quran, but actually it's better if you are able to show how you came up with this idea. What was the methodology that you have used? What was the process of reasoning that you followed? So, here the process of tafsir starts. As long as you are trying to understand al-ma'na zahiri, it's not that much tafsir. Yeah, it's like a matter of translation or translation of English, for example, words into English words, Arabic words into Arabic words. Sometimes, you know, you have translation in the sense of bringing the same words, synonymous words from the same language. The real tafsir starts when you want to go further, more than just understanding the terms literally. It's not that everyone who, for example, reads Arabic and understands Arabic can really understand what is meant by the ayah. They understand the surface, but to get the meaning is in need of tafsir, especially when you go to deeper layers. And the reason they call this tafsir, because tafsir in Arabic means kashful ghana'ah, means to unveil. So there is like a curtain there is something on the surface of the meaning of the ayah, you want to remove it. So tafsir means to unveil, to disclose. Okay? Kashful qina. In the past, in some of the books, if you refer you know, to some early books, instead of tafsir, they used to use most uh, the term ta'wil. Ta'wil is used in different senses, but one sense of tafsir is equal to ta'wil uh, is equal to tafsir, one sense. Because ta'wil comes from awl, ala ya'ulu, awl means to return. It means to show how this meaning returns to the text. Okay? Or how this text is referring to that meaning. This is the reason why they used to call it ta'wil. But tafsir is also a very established term, even we have it in hadith. Like for example, man fassar al-Qur'ana bi-ra'yih If someone interprets the Qur'an according to his own personal opinion, his seat would be in the hell. Okay, if someone tries to impose his opinion on the Quran. So, tafsir is to go beyond the literal meaning and try to understand more than what ordinary people who speak the same language understand from the text. The first person who was Mufassir of the Qur'an, the first person to interpret the Qur'an was Rasulullah himself. Although Arabs were 
at that time, in general, very good in their Arabic. Okay? Arabic standard was very high at that time. But they were still in need of tafsir, tabyin. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was not only was not only reciting the Quran and doing Talawa Yatlu Alayhim Ayate, he was not only doing Talawa, he was also teaching them the book. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So that you explain for people what has been revealed to them. So Rasulullah was the first Mufassir of the Quran. And there are some hadith in our books, Sunni Shia books, which involve tafsir of Quran by Rasulullah. For example, Jalaluddin Abdul Rahman as Suyuti. He's a Shafi scholar. He has a book on tafsir called Ad-Durrul Manthur. Ad-Durrul Manthur, which is based on hadith. So he mentions hadith from Prophet, and, but according to Sunni Muslims, you know, sometimes hadith is not from Ma'asum. Sometimes a companion says something, they say it's hadith. But he has also hadith from the Prophet. And one of the examples is, for example, this. In Surah Baqarah, verse 187. You know, this verse about fasting. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, eat and drink hatta yatabayyan al khaytul abyazu min al khaytul aswat. Till the <coughs> black thread becomes distinct from the white thread. So Suyuti narrates that Rasulullah interpreted this by saying that the black thread is night and the white thread is day. So when in horizon, these two become distinct, then that is fajr. You have to stop eating and drinking. After the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, the task of tafsir al-Quran, explanation of the Quran, was given to Ahlul Bayt like Hadith Saqalain, that Rasulullah asked Ummah to refer to Ahlul Bayt and grasp both Quran and Ahlul Bayt and said, Ma in tamasaktum bihima lan tadillu. As long as you grasp both of them, you will not be misguided. And said, Innahuma layyaftariqa hatta yarda alayya al-hawz. They will never be separate from each other. So Ummah, for understanding Quran, they had to refer to Ahlul Bayt salam. So Amirul Mu'mineen salam is the one who had great knowledge of the book after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then after Ahlul Bayt, some companions. One of the companions, which is very much respected by Sunni and Shia and who had good knowledge of the Quran is Ibn Abbas. Ibn Abbas is very famous and respected by all. 
But the interesting thing is that Ibn Abbas was very young at the time of the Prophet. So although he met the Prophet and they consider him as a companion of the Prophet, because uh, our Sunni brothers, if you remember once uh, we had this discussion, they say everyone who met Rasulullah even once and he believed in Rasulullah, he was a companion. So even meeting Rasulullah once is enough. We say to be companion needs to spend good time with Rasulullah, not just once. Anyway, Ibn Abbas lived with Rasulullah for a few years, but he was very young. He couldn't have learned all these things from Rasulullah. He was later a student of Amirul Mu'mineen salam. So he learned from Amirul Mu'mineen uh, many things about tafsir of the Quran. And some people have tried to collect tafasir of Quran, interpretations of the Quran by Ibn Abbas from tafsir Tabari. You know, Tabari has a tafsir Quran, so he quotes from Ibn Abbas. So some people uh, have put all these tafasir from Ibn Abbas and it became two volumes from the beginning of, up to, of course, he doesn't have tafsir for every verse, but those verses that he has uh, interpreted are put in this book and is published in Beirut. It is called Tanvir al-Miqbas fi Tafsir ibn Abbas. After Ibn Abbas, Meqbas means something that you take, you know, Qabas means something you take from fire. So it means that they wanted to make it something which is like Ibn Abbas. So they use the term Meqbas means something that you take as a piece of fire that you take to enlighten, you know, to project light. Uh, after Ibn Abbas, there is another person who was a distinguished disciple of Ibn Abbas and is very famous if you study tafsir books, especially in the Sunni uh, school, but also you find it in Shia school, is Mujahid. Even in Majma'ul Bayan, sometimes he quotes uh, something. Mujahid is a student of Ibn Abbas and it is said that he reviewed the entire Quran with Ibn Abbas 30 times. So they were reading together from the beginning and Ibn Abbas was commenting and explaining and if he had questions he was asking. So 30 times he reviewed the entire Quran. The interpretations which are available from him are also published separately in two volumes. So if someone wants to know the way he was interpreting, you can refer also to these two volumes. Yes? Do you like to ask after class? Sure. So these are the early Mufassirin of the Quran and then among the companions of Ahlul Bayt, among other scholars, Tabi'een, you have different Mufassirin. Gradually, 
they started compiling books on tafsir. Initially, they were you know, scattered in different books. One of the oldest tafsir, which is comprehensive, is called Jami'ul Bayan, which belongs to Tabari. Tabari died in 310, okay? More than 1,000 years ago. So he's very early, 310. His tafsir is perhaps the oldest or at least one of the oldest comprehensive tafsir. Means that it has from the Surah Hamd up to Surah Nas. When they published it in recent you know, publications, you know, uh, small volumes, it's 30 volumes. Jami'ul Bayan. One of the important tafasir of Ahle Sunnat, which has Mu'tazili approach. You know, in Kalam we have Mu'tazilites who had rational approach, intellectual approach, uh, in contrast to Ash'arites, they had, you know, differences. So one of the Sunni tafasir, which is very well known and uh, it has the Mu'tazili approach, is Tafsir Kashaf by Zamakhshari. Zamakhshari is very well known for his uh, good knowledge of Arabic language. His uh, Arabic was very good. He has also books on Lugha and other subjects. And because he used to live in Mecca for some time, it is called, he's called Jarullah. Jarullah means neighbor of God. The people who live in Mecca for some time, they used to get this title of Jarullah, neighbor of God. So he's Jarullah Zamakhshari. He died in 538. There is another tafsir, but with Ash'ari approach. Okay, this was Mu'tazili, Ash'ari approach. And that is At-Tafsir al-Kabir by Fakhreddin al-Razi. You know, one of the titles of Fakhreddin al-Razi is what? Imamul Mushakkakin. They call him Imamul Mushakkakin, the leader of the people who are very skeptic. Okay? Because he used to always bring doubts and ask questions. And he was very much against philosophy. And it is said that his questions and challenges and objections to philosophy actually helped in development of philosophy. Because philosophers had to answer to his questions, and then it developed philosophy further. So he died in 606, and his tafsir is uh, still available, very you know, well-known, at Tafsir al-Kabir. In the Shia school, maybe the oldest works of tafsir, which has you know, f- from the beginning up to the end, of course, not every verse, but it has from the beginning up to the end, is Tafsir by Ali ibn Ibrahim Qummi, which is available, and it's based on hadith. It has hadith, 
The other one is Tafsir Furat Kufi. He is also a companion and he lived in the th third and the fourth century, early fourth century. But these are not about every verse. So the method they had was they tried to bring together all the hadith about verses of the Quran. So they tried to come up with a tafsir of the Quran. They tried to be comprehensive, but there were verses for which they didn't have hadith. Okay? So they were not trying to explain by themselves. Inshallah, I will explain the method of tafsir rewai. But maybe the first comprehensive Shia tafsir was at Tabyan by Shaykh Tusi, Rahmatullah alayhi, which, which is very good, very detailed, and available. Then later we have many other books, but some one which received great attention and respect from ulama was the late Tabarsi, who compiled Majma'ul Bayan. Majma'ul Bayan before Al-Mizan, and even at the beginning when Al-Mizan was written, it was very popular. Now people with having Al-Mizan, they think maybe they don't need you know, to refer to Majma'ul but it has been very well received by our ulama. He died in 548, <coughs> the late Tabarsi, 548. Among contemporary tafasir in the Sunni world, you find a very detailed and uh, comprehensive tafsir called At-Tafsir al-Munir by Wahba Zuhaili, published in 1991. And in the Shia world, you have Tafsir al-Mizan by Allama Tabatabai, and you have Tafsir al-Nemuneh. These are contemporary and comprehensive from the beginning up to the end. We have also some other tafasir. Uh, if you have this uh, CD of uh, tafsir, you know, Nurul Jameh, Nurul. There are, I think, maybe hundreds of tafasir from Shia, Sunni, a small, big, uh, many, of course, hundreds of volumes, but maybe titles, maybe about, uh, I don't know, 100 titles, different tafasir. And now we have the works of the uh, students of Allama Tabatabai and Imam Khomeini, like, for example, uh, Ayatollah Javadi Amuli. So, he started many years ago teaching tafsir, and then they are uh, being uh, transcribed, and they are work on them, and they are being published. He has tafsir tartibi, he has tafsir mozui. Tafsir mozui means thematic tafsir, so based on the subject. Tafsir tartibi is from Surah Hamd, then it goes on, you know, according to the order of the chapters. <coughs> Ayatollah Makarim also, in addition to Tafsir Nemune, he has Tafsir Mozu'i. 
آیت الله سبحانی هست تفسیر موضوعی so uh, there are new series coming up and some of them have already been published and many volumes have been published okay now let's talk about different methods of tafsir this is very important a very early method of tafsir was tafsir rawai and still this is available so in this method they used to interpret the quran by hadith so they were not trying to bring anything else even some of the books which have adopted this method they don't clarify the terms the words what is the meaning of this word they only quote hadith so they try to find out hadith from different sources and put them under each ayah in Sunni world Jamu al-Bayan by Tabari which we mentioned is Tafsir al-Rawai or Bahr al-Ulum by Samarqandi is Tafsir al-Rawai or Durr al-Mansur by Suyuti is Tafsir al-Rawai in Shia Tafsir of Ali ibn Ibrahim Tafsir Imam Hassan Askari you know there's a Tafsir which is uh, attributed to Imam Hassan Askari it's all hadith or al-burhan by Sayyid Hashem Bahrani this is rawai nur al-thaqalain is tafsir rawai by Huwaizi so they only come up with hadith another method is at-tafsir al-irfani or at-tafsir al-batani or at-tafsir al-ishari they call it irfani means mystical botany means esoteric it goes to the deeper layers and ishara ishara means hint the reason they call it ishari means that they can understand hints which are there some very hidden you know points that maybe other people cannot understand You have, for example, Tafsir by Ibn Arabi, Muhyiddin Ibn Arabi. He has Tafsir al-Quran al-Karim. You know, Ibn Arabi died 638 after Hijrah. So his Tafsir is Irfani. Or Lata'if al-Isharat by Abu al-Qasim Ibn Hawazin, who died in 465 after Hijrah. Kashf al-Asrar by Maybudi. Who died 520. Bayanu by Gunabadi, who died in 1327. So these are Tafsir Irfani. Sometimes they, not all these people, and not even the same person all the time, because sometimes a person, maybe Ibn Arabi, in some of his Tafsir, he is very clear but some of his tafasir are not uh, very clear how he understood it in that way sometimes they come up with ideas that we cannot understand you know how this is understandable from the quran for example in the quran 
there is a mention of house of God, Beit, and Maqam Ibrahim. Okay? A standpoint of Ibrahim. So some of them they say Beit means heart. And Maqam Ibrahim means Ruh. Because Ruh is in the heart. So they say Maqam Ibrahim is in the house. But what is the relevance of Maqam Ibrahim to the spirit? How they understood this, you know, you don't know. This is a, not something that you can establish. It's a claim. For sure, Quran is full of mystical ideas, full of spiritual ideas. But a proper Arif, when he does tafsir, he has to be loyal to the methods of tafsir. He has to be loyal to the text. Otherwise, you could understand this from any text. If there is no relevance to the text, so you can say this is the meaning of another ayah. Why it's the meaning of this ayah? Or it's a meaning of another book altogether. Anyway, this is the second type. There is a third type, scientific interpretation of the Quran. Now maybe it is less. There was a time in the 19th, 20th century, because of the advancement, quick advancement of technology and sciences, modern sciences, empirical sciences, some people tried to come up with scientific interpretation of the Quran. They tried to explain everything according to science, because they th thought science is the most decisive type of knowledge. So for example, if the Quran talks about shaitan and shayateen, they said these are germs that can infect you, okay? Or for example, when Allah says about the miracle of Musa salam, when people were able to cross the sea, they say it was just because of the gravity of moon. And Musa was clever that at that particular time, the gravity of moon would you know, take water. But why water was divided into and there was a passage, then they don't explain. Or, for example, you know, they say that when Isa alayhi salam says that I give uh, vision back to a person who is blind, or the person who has always been blind, you know, I can give him vision and I can cure the people who are, you know, uh, they have um, problem with their skin, you know, obrol akma wa al-abras. They say he said he's going to do this, but he never did it. He just claimed this. So they try to avoid anything that has no scientific explanation. So whatever was possible to explain it by science, they did. And if there was something which was not possible to explain by science, they tried to avoid. Okay? So this is something which was very popular, as I said, in the last two centuries. For example, there is Al-Jawahir fi Tafsir al-Qur'an al-Kareem by Tantawi. Mm -hmm. He died in 1359. He sometimes has this kind of attitude. 
or Al-Manar by Sheikh Muhammad Abdu, you know, Egyptian scholar, who was also a student of Sayyid Jamaluddin Asad Abadi. And he you know, he's, has also an edition of Nahjul Balagh Abdu. He's a Sunni scholar, Egyptian. He died in 1323. Abdu started a tafsir of the Quran, but in the middle of Surah An-Nisa, he died. And then his student, Rashid Reza, continued. And Rashid Reza managed to uh, reach ending of Surah Yusuf. You know, so even two people could not complete uh, this. It's a great tawfiq if someone can complete tafsir of the Quran from the beginning up to then. Anyway, they couldn't complete, but they were in a time that people were, you know, very impressed by science and technology. So they tried to attract maybe other people, the youths, by saying Quran is, you know, mentioning these scientific ideas long time ago. This was the approach. They thought in this way they can serve the Quran. A case which is also maybe familiar to some of you, which was in India, is Sir Ahmad Khan. Sir Ahmad Khan, Hindi, he has a book, Al-Quran Huwa Al-Huda Wal-Furqan. Al-Quran Huwa Al-Huda Wal-Furqan. He died in 1315. For example, when it comes to Wahy, Revelation, he says, Wahy is an echo of an internal voice from one's heart. Because to believe in, you know, something ghaybi, something, you know, hidden, was difficult. So he said, it's internal voice. Or about Musa, salam opening a dry passage, he says that this was not a miracle. It was an effect of moon's gravity. So this was their approach. But the main method, which is what the Quran suggests and what is the method of Ahlul Bayt salam, is Tafsirul Quran Bil Quran. And there are examples of this in previous books, even in Majma'ul Bayan, in uh, other tafasir, there are examples of this. But the one who actually developed this method and articulated this method very well is Allah Tabatabai Rahmatullah. So in the beginning of Al-Mizan and also in his book, Quran Dar Islam, the Quran in Islam, he explains about this method. The idea is this, briefly, the idea is this. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent the Quran for guidance. And he says that Quran is tabiyanan likulli shay. Okay, Quran explains everything that you need for guidance. Quran is kitab mubin, clear book. Quran is nur mubin, is a clear light. So, Allah says, how then this book is not explaining itself. If it is explaining everything, 
So at least it should first explain itself. And we have hadith which says Al-Quran yufassaru ba'dhu ba'dha or yashhadu ba'dhu ala ba'dh. Some part of the Quran interpret another part of the Quran. Some part of the Quran offers testimony about another part of the Quran. So, Allah says that if we familiarize ourselves with the Quran, if we have comprehensive knowledge of the Quran in the sense that when you read one ayah in one chapter, you also use other ayat in other chapters of the Quran. Then you can see that there are lots of cross-references. One ayah gives you a key to understand another ayah. And this is what he has tried to do in Al-Mizan. Of course, he always also mentions ahadith. But first, what he does, he first clarifies the words. Then he comes with tafsir Qur'an bil Qur'an. Then after that, he has also hadith. And sometimes he has also some discussions. Sometimes he has philosophical discussions. Sometimes he has uh, you know, um, scientific discussion. He has other discussions. But those are like supplementary. He says we should not impose philosophical ideas on the Quran, scientific ideas on the Quran, mystical ideas on the Quran, legal ideas on the Quran. The Quran explains itself. What we need is to familiarize ourselves with the Quran. And those disciplines like philosophy, theology, fiqh, I don't know, economics, whatever, they are good if they just open up a space of reflection for you. You know, because if you don't have any question, when you go to the Quran, you may not understand. A person who is looking for an answer, he has a question in mind, he understands. But what is important is you can bring your questions from any discipline to the Quran. But just take the questions, not the answers. Let the Quran give you the answer. Otherwise, if you want to take the answer and find a support from the Quran, then you may misunderstand. For example, because I love my, I don't know, master in philosophy or in Irfan, I want to refer to the Quran to find something which would endorse his ideas. This is not working. You may misunderstand. So, Allah established this method of tafsirul quran bil quran some people even in the shia world you know we have some akhbaris not all of the akhbaris but some akhbaris don't like this and they say we cannot understand the quran and they quote some hadith for example they quote the hadith which says the only one who understands the Quran is the one who is addressed by the Quran. Means Rasulullah. 
They say, no one can understand the Quran except from Rasulullah and Ahlul Bayt. We should only refer to them. But then ulama explain that those hadith which you quote, you akhbari quote, do not deny the possibility of understanding the Quran by Quran. They refer to the bottom of the Quran, to the deeper layers of the Quran that we don't claim we want to understand. And some of them are also about um, refutation of the people who were trying to impose their opinions on the Quran. Now, there were people who were imposing their ideas on the Quran. Otherwise, otherwise, the Quran itself tells us that we should be able to understand it. And we have many hadith about understanding the Quran. Even we have hadith that Ahlul Bayt salam, when they were asked questions, they gave the answer based on the Quran. Meaning that you can yourself understand this from the Quran. Or for example, Imam Sadiq used to say to people that when I give you an answer, ask me for Quranic reference. Because they wanted to equip the Shia so that if they are asked by someone who doesn't believe in Ahlul Bayt, they can also bring something from Quran. It's very important that you can argue from the Quran. So in some books like Rasail by Sheikh Ansari, Faraidul Usul, which is known in Hose as Rasail, there are tens of pages about this debate between Usulis and Akhbaris about the possibility of understanding the Ma'na Zahiri min al-Qur'an, the Zawahir of the Qur'an. Nusus, no one doubts, but Zawahir, which I explained what is the meaning of Zahir, uh, Akhbari say, we don't understand. But we say, we can understand. Anyway, what is important is, you try first to familiarize yourself with the Quran and learn all the skills which are needed. You should have good grasp of Sarf and Nahf and Balagha. Should have good grasp of Usul al-Fiqh, because Usul al-Fiqh gives you the methodology for understanding and interpreting texts. Then you should know some kalam. I'm not saying you need to be master of kalam, but you should be familiar with theological issues. You should be familiar with philosophical issues. But then you should be able to spend some years on the Quran. When you have familiarity with the Quran, when you are able to remember what Quran says in other places about the same subject, then inshallah you can start understanding tafsir. But even a person who has reached this point has to do few things. One is that always check what you think you understand with hadith. You shouldn't interpret the Quran in the way which is against hadith. But sometimes hadith give you different interpretations. Then you may choose that interpretation that you can understand it through this method. That's another issue. But you cannot ignore hadith. Hadith can be the you know, beginning and pave the way for you. 
Another thing is that no Mufassir should feel that he doesn't need to consult books of other Mufassirin. It's not that, you know, you say, because I know Arabic or I have interpretation of the Quran, I open the Quran and understand. If you see, for example, Allah with all the knowledge that he has, but he refers to what other Mufassirin, Sunni, Shia have said. It means that he has studied them. He didn't, you know, close all the books and just himself, you know, focused on the ayah. He checks what they have understood. What are their arguments? What are the advantages of their understanding? Disadvantages. Okay? So you try to exhaust all your energy in understanding what is available. And then either you choose one of those opinions or maybe Allah inspires you to understand something new that they didn't understand. But if there is arrogance and pride and say, I understand and they didn't understand, then you will not be able to understand. So therefore, here the question of taqwa also comes. The question of purity comes. So if someone asks you, is it possible for a person who is not pious to understand the Quran and do tafsir of Quran? For example, a person who has been to Hose and has studied many, many years. Maybe he's not a Muslim, or maybe he's a Muslim but not pious. Is it possible? So we say it's possible. It's possible that he may understand the Quran. Actually, sometimes uh, you see some non-Muslims have understood sometimes good ideas. But if there is a Muslim or non-Muslim who is pious, Okay, because sometimes there are non-Muslims who seek the truth. They can see the light of the Quran. Piety is very important. If someone is not pious, there is possibility, but it's very low. I cannot say they never understand anything. No, actually they may understand, even maybe they change. But if someone, Muslim or non-Muslim, with piety, refer to the Quran, he would benefit. This ayah in Surah Baqarah, how did you understand this ayah? How have you been understanding? When Allah says, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابِ لَا رَيْبَ هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ Okay? This book is the guidance for muttaqin. Who are these muttaqin? If we say muttaqin means the people who observe Sharia and, you know, they do Salat, fasting, all these things, avoid Haram, you know, all the things that we have in Fiqh. So then the question is that these are the people who are guided. What are the people who can benefit from the guidance of the Quran? So here there is a possibility that Muttaqin here may mean not muttaqi in a fiqhi sense or in a religious sense. Muttaqi here can mean something which has grades, different levels. 
the first level of muttaqi, which can be available even to non-Muslims and non-religious people, is to have scientific taqwa. Taqwaya ilmi. What does it mean, taqwaya ilmi? It means you search for truth and you are open to the truth and you want to understand. This is the first level of taqwa that must be there. If someone is open to the truth and actually you know, struggles for finding the truth, he can benefit from the Quran. But then, those who are pious, they do all the wajibah, they are muttaqi, they purify their intention, there is extra guidance that they can get from the Quran. So what I want to say is that it's possible even for a person who is not pious to understand. But this is very uh, little chance. There is little chance for them. The main thing is pious, to be pious. If you are pious, in this general sense that I said, you can understand, but depending on how pious you are, you can understand more. Okay, I think uh, we can stop here. The paper is, alhamdulillah, finished. I wanted to talk something about uh, Quran being light, but inshallah we leave it for another session. Wa akhir da'wana, and alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen.